0: With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details.
1: Can you tell me a little bit about like the room that you're in right now?
2: (laughs) The room I'm in? I am (laughs) in our master bedroom.
1: And is it like carpeted?
2: Yeah, I'm sitting on a carpet. Yeah. Do you want to see it?
1: It's okay. I don't have to see it. I was just checking like the acoustics of the room. Got it, got it.
0: Yesterday we brought you a conversation with the actor J. Smith Cameron because she and her character Jerry on Succession brought us so much joy this year. Today, we have another interview with someone who we found ourselves totally obsessed with this year: Hassan Minhaj. Hassan is a comedian. And by the way, a lot of people call him Hassan Minaj, but that is not actually how he pronounces his name. You might know Hassan from one of his first big gigs as a correspondent on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart. But this is,
2: this is America. From everything that I, that I have learned about America, we love people of faith. That's what we love.
0: You are absolutely right. If
2: it is the right one. Now, there is a hierarchy of faith in this country. Up top, we got evangelical, right? Mm-hmm. Then Catholic, Jewy but not too Jewy. We're third, okay. right? Miscellaneous non-Muslim, Scientology, devil worship. <laughs> then right down here is Muslim. Oh, that, are, so are Muslims just supposed to hide their faith? Is that the idea? That's-, That's a great idea.
0: When he broke off to do his own comedy thing, he started a Netflix show, Patriot Act. That was back in 2018. Last year, Netflix canceled the show after six seasons. But more recently, he's been on The Morning Show, and he actually is on a comedy tour right now. Hassan has this way of talking about the state of the world that is ruthlessly honest and sometimes cutting, but also so empathetic. And frankly, this was a year when I think we all could have done with a little bit more of him explaining the world to us. producer Lena Mohamed has been thinking a lot about the ending of Patriot Act, the topics it covered, and what television in 2021 was like without it. And for me, listening to this conversation between them and the way that they relate to each other in a very human way, it made me really remember what I miss about that show.
2: Just do topics that I think provide a ton of value, not only to my generation, but to, I think, the next generation that's coming up right now. Episodes like Student Loan Debt, or fast fashion, or insulin and drug pricing. Like, those are things that I think our generation is really, really struggling with, and and those are are episodes I'm really proud of.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, December 29th. And Lena is going to take it from here.
1: Did you always want to do comedy? Like, how did you figure out that you were funny?
2: So I was a speech and debate kid. And, you know, I'm a child of Indian immigrants. Uh, My parents came to the country in 82. I was born in 85. I'm a millennial kid. And my dad and mom specifically didn't let me watch cable growing up. And that means I missed out on all the seminal years of HBO comedy, Comedy Central, half hour specials, all of these things that shaped a generation of comedians that are now my contemporaries, The Simpsons. I missed out on all of that stuff. And so one of the things that I coincidentally stumbled into was my teacher, Miss Takeuchi, would catch me cracking jokes and sometimes not paying attention in class. And my sophomore year of high school, she said, look, I won't give you detention if you join this thing called FBLA. And in FBLA, we have a public speaking competition where you can do impromptu speaking. And so I ended up going to these tournaments and funny enough, I would crack jokes during my speech. And whenever the judges would come and give me my marks, I always had 10 to 15 points higher because I just broke the fourth wall. And so I didn't know that was a skill set at the time. I thought I was just being funny or just kind of being a smart ass. And then when I got to college, I would start watching stand-up comedy because I could download comedy on my computer in the dorm rooms. And I was like, oh, this is just funny speech and debate. And so my freshman year of college, it all clicked for me. I realized this thing that I had been doing in high school that Ms. Takeuchi told me to do was actually a gift and I could perhaps pursue it as a real career.
1: And I'm assuming that wasn't what your parents had in mind.
2: Uh, yeah, no, no. Actually, I think, Lena, you're wrong. But it's it's exactly what my parents wanted me to do. One of the things that both my parents, you know, leaving Aligarh, India, coming to the United States of America, one of the things they really wanted for their first and only son to do was to... Um, go in really dark, dingy basements late at night and perform jokes at one thirty in the morning in front of drunk people. That's exactly what they wanted. For their <laughs> son. Um, I, I know. Obviously, we're doing a podcast. I'm being completely sarcastic. That is not what they wanted. It was the the exact opposite. And so that was a that was a long decade long fight between you know me and my dad specifically. It was really 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 rough.
1: Hmm. I saw that he was like even recently in your Kohan campaign. So he's more he's come around.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's come on board now, which is really funny. But I think now that I'm a parent, you know, I'm a father of two. I have a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And it's so funny. I think about this all the time. Would I want my son or daughter? Because my my eldest, she's three. She's really funny. And I was like, would I want her to do stand-up comedy? And there's part of me that's like, oh, my God, what I had to go through? I wouldn't wish that on my children. So it's one of those things where you have to really, really love it. And I think my dad's concern was, was pretty understandable because... He saw me as someone, and I remember he told me this as my LSAT score was expiring. He was like, You're so capable. I think you're you're actually a very smart kid. Why don't you apply it towards something that'll be productive and fruitful for your life? And I was like, Dad, I'm telling you jokes, jokes is the way to go. I can I can really do this. And then you know my LSAT score expired and the rest is history.
1: So I think a lot of people learned about you for the first time, probably like in 2017, when you spoke at the White House Correspondent Dinner.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the series finale of the White House
1: Correspondents Dinner. What was your strategy going into that dinner?
2: Oh, yeah. I think my strategy going into the dinner was, I have a rare opportunity to speak to the world, and, and specifically, the world of journalism, the world of politics during Donald Trump's first year of his presidency, what would you want to say? Who would have thought, with everything going on in the country right now, that a Muslim would be standing on this stage for the ninth year in a row, baby? We had eight years of Barack, what's another year? I see you, fam, I see you, Barry. What you doing right now? You jet skiing while the world burns? That's cool, that's cool. (laughs) That's cool. And at that point, I had been on the, the Daily Show for about three and a half years and had kind of seen the, the last few years of Obama and the rise of Donald Trump. And it was this really, really unique opportunity for me to put together a set that I think was specific to my experience, what I've seen, and kind of what I think a lot of people in the country were feeling at that point in time. Okay, listen, I get it. I get it. We got to address the elephant that's not in the room. And it was also just as a background, I think a lot of people forget. It was one of the first years that the president did not come to the correspondence dinner since Ronald Reagan, who did not attend because he was recovering from a gunshot wound. The leader of our country is not here. And that's because he lives in Moscow. It is a very long flight. It'd be hard for Vlad to make it. Vlad can't just make it on a Saturday. It's a
1: Saturday. Looking back at that moment in your career now, how does it, how does it feel?
2: In the moment, you know, I, I thought the the gig would be so different and unlike anything I had ever performed at before. But when you actually get into the room, the Hilton in Washington, D.C., is pretty much like any Hilton you've been to, you've been to weddings there. You've been to like a speech and debate tournament there. You've had that lukewarm, somewhat average salmon. So as soon as I walked in there, I was like, oh, I've been here before. Like, I think I was at a wedding here six months ago. Like I've had this terrible food. I know what this is like. And, and, and that human aspect of it, where you actually kind of tactile feel the room and the environment. As soon as that moment happened, I realized, oh, I'm, I'm inside of, just a Hilton ballroom. This is ballroom comedy. Now, people around the world are going to be able to see it. But just remember that Hassan. And so, um, I'm 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 proud that like I said what I said. Um, I did the jokes that I wanted to do. And right around minute five or six into the set, I started to feel comfortable. And so, just for me as a performer, uh, putting myself in the deep end like that uh, is something that I'm I'm really really proud of because I didn't know if I was going to be ready for that. Um, It was a really, really fun experience that I'll never forget.
1: I wanted to also talk about the Patriot Act. What did the show mean to you as its host?
2: It was a really fun experience, and I'm lucky that I was given the opportunity. I did my comedy undergrad at The Daily Show. I was there for about four years. And when I was coming up, I remember in the early aughts, you know, the amount of shows that were given out to comedians was really limited. And I'm really lucky that as soon as I kind of had a breakout moment in 2017 and 2018, Netflix gave me a show and it was really fun to do six seasons. And one of the things that I just wanted to try to do on the show was talk about all these stories that I had been thinking about that I never got a chance to do as a correspondent on The Daily Show. Not because, you know, they they weren't breaking news are important, but because I was part of an ensemble cast. And when you're a part of an ensemble cast, you're servicing the show's larger vision, Jon Stewart's larger vision, Tre- Trevor Noah's larger vision. And so there were moments where I could pop in and do an act to chat or do a bigger field piece, but I didn't get a chance to really spread those wings and do something for maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 28 minutes. And so to me, the show was a really dope representation of kind of my diasporic, comedic worldview that never really got to be seen before. And so that was really fun for me to to talk about.
1: Yeah. And I think what's so special about the Patriot Act, to me at least, is that it centered these like non-white perspectives. Was that hard to accomplish?
2: Um, I think, you know, it's funny. Once you get a show um, and, and you're the host specifically, the, the show for better, for worse is limited by your perspective. Hmm. You know, it really is a quarterback's medium. So if you look at someone like Robin Thede or Amber Ruffin or Trevor Noah or Larry Wilmore, you know, the show, and, and this is what makes makes the shows great. So what I wanted to do is I thought to myself, hey, when you're when you're starting the show or when you think about episodes, think about, think about episodes that you have a very unique, singular perspective on that you can add something that say Stephen Colbert can't or Jimmy Kimmel can't or Jimmy Fallon can't. And then the other goal that I had was like, you know, they always say because of the internet, the world is getting smaller. For me, actually, I wanted to make people's world bigger, meaning if someone that I grew up with that was watching Netflix in North America, you know, we have a very ethnocentric worldview here in the States. We don't, <laughs> people don't really travel. Like, they don't even travel to Mexico, right? Uh, which is like, or or Canada even, you know? Um, so Doing episodes that allow people to go, oh, I never, oh, I didn't know that was going on in Sudan. Oh, wow, I never, I never thought that was going on in the Philippines. Or I've never seen a deep dive about Duterte or Modi or Bolsonaro. Those things are, I think, really interesting and expansive. That's really what I was trying to do, kind of expand people's worldview.
1: How do you decide when you have a responsibility to educate your audience, like specifically if like, say, for example, you know, white Americans in the audience have no idea what you're talking about when you're like talking about the like or I think you call it a luta?
2: A luta, yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you've ever been to a brown person's house, they'll have this small watering pot in the corner of their bathroom, but there won't be a plant in there. That's a luta. Lotas <laughs> are the manual transmissions of bidets. Right, you go number two, you pour it in your hand, you just get to work, right? Now, a lot of people think it's gross, but you know what I think is gross? Toilet paper, okay? Toilet paper is gross. If you walk through dog shit in your Air Jordans, and if I only gave you a piece of toilet paper to clean it up, you would think it's nasty too. So why don't we treat our butts with the same respect we treat our Air Jordans?
1: Or like when you choose to say like, it's actually not my job to teach you, this isn't for, like if you don't know what I'm talking about, this isn't for you.
2: You know what's interesting? And that's such a great question because we all have this sort of pop culture influence Pinterest board in our mind. Like There were these certain films, TV shows, and soundtracks that we listened to that sort of shaped us. Now, one of my favorite rappers of all time is Jay-Z. He grew up in the Marcy Projects of of Brooklyn. I did not. So how did this like Basie, Aligarian kid who was growing up in Davis, California, how can he connect to Jay-Z? And I think one of the things that I realized is... It's the artist's responsibility to be as authentic as possible. And if he or she is not, what they're essentially doing is they're actually insulting you as an audience member. They're saying, ah, you're not going to get it. You know, I didn't grow up in, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, but John Hughes, his cinematic palette, his his comedy tastes, his dialogue style, like really shaped my worldview. And like, I really loved his films, but he really authentically told a Chicago suburban story of the late 80s and early 90s. And I think that's when I realized that's my job. Like, hey, let me pull you into my living room. That's what I feel like my my responsibility is as, a, as an artist. I should be as authentic as possible with you. Otherwise, I'd be insulting you.
1: You know, I was thinking about how the Patriot Act is no longer there. And I was curious what you think. What do you think is missing from TV now that your show is like no longer part of the conversation?
2: One of the things I was hoping for and I'm continuing to hope for is more shows like Patriot Act based around the world. So if you look at what, say, someone like Russell Howard is doing over in the U.K., or what other hosts in other parts of the world are getting an opportunity to do, or what Bassem Youssef was doing in Egypt mm-hmm. years ago. That is what I would like to see in the world. That would be really, really cool to see, hey, what does India's version of the show look like? What does Pakistan's version of the show look like? What does Brazil's version of the show look like? What does you know, Egypt's version of the show look like? All of those sort of things. That's That to me is a world that I would really, really love to see. That being said, I am incredibly optimistic about the types of stories that are being told right now. As a kid growing up and reading graphic novels and and reading people like Frank Miller and stuff like that, I would have never imagined someone who looks like me existing in that world. And one of the things that I think about all the time is, for the longest time, us kids of the diaspora, when we came to this country, we were oftentimes deemed, even though uh, our community has been able to economically do well and be economically relevant, oftentimes we were castigated and seen as culturally irrelevant. So even though we were economically relevant, we were culturally irrelevant. But to see these moments where I'm seeing seeing Lulu shining or seeing Mindy Kaling shining or seeing my three Rami Krishnan shining and people are pronouncing their name and hitting all those freaking consonants and vowels I'm like, hey, this is an amazing step in the right direction. I never want to lose sight of that because I know it was inconceivable the moment I started doing comedy, September 2004.
0: After the break, Lena and Hassan talk about their evolving relationships with Islam. We'll be right back.
3: Go to com slash disclosures for details. You know,
1: Hassan, when I was researching for this interview, I just like Googled Hassan Minhaj. And one of the questions and the people also ask Section on Google was how religious is Hassan Minhaj? Wow! And I can't imagine like what it would be like for people to want to know that about me. Yeah. Why do you think that people are fascinated with your relationship with Islam?
2: Wow! I mean, Lena, you're really going in here with the good Muslim, bad Muslim dichotomy. Oh boy!
1: <laughs> we have oh, to. Man. We're both Muslim here.
2: I, 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 I don't. I don't know if we have enough time for the Wapo podcast. Um, I think. I think it's it's this, and um, I'm going to tell a short story which I think will elucidate. I feel like I'm turning into my dad. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> no, I'll start, with, I'll start with a short story that I think will elucidate a larger point. So when I was nine years old, the Houston Rockets were making a big run, and, and there was a center who played for the Houston Rockets. His name was Hakeem Olajuwon. If anyone here is a basketball fan, he's one of the greatest centers of all time. One Friday prayer during of prayer, I was at the mosque, and Hakeem Olajuwon showed up. And it was this really, like, it was something. was a moment I'll never forget. We all bum-rushed Hakeem. All the kids wanted to pray with him. It was really cool. And I thought, I still think about this moment now. I'm 35 years old. Why did you care so much? You were about, you know, you were nine years old, Hassan. Why did that moment matter to you? And it was like, that moment mattered to me because when I saw Hakeem Olajuwon playing on NBC, primetime, Sunday broadcasting and Bob Costas is saying his name and he's hoisting that MVP trophy. What he represents is, hey, Hassan, society is valuing a person from your community. He has value. That, I cannot tell you what that means to a young Hassan Minhaj. Like that means the world to me. And I think that is why perhaps when people see <laughs> Zayn Malik, or Gigi Hadid, or Bella Hadid, or Khabib, or, you know, if you even go back to the 70s, Muhammad Ali, what that represents to people is really big. It's, hey, you are humanizing me, you're validating my existence. Now, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I think we should all have value irrespective of whether uh, a celebrity or you know, an athlete or a politician is in the public eye, like that, that sort of sense of self-worth or self should come from within, but I'm not going to act like it doesn't, like I'm not like going to act like it doesn't, you know, shape culture and have an impact and help kids feel a little bit more seen. And so I think that's maybe why, um, to take it a step further, people are like, cool, Hassan's like me, my name's Hassan. Um, uh, maybe my, I'm Hassan with two S's and he's Hassan with one S." Maybe I want to see if he's really like me. Is he religious like me or is he not religious? Like, I think people then want to just get a deeper dive. Sometimes it gets a little bit creepy, but um, I, I I try to see the good side of it. You know, and Lena, I can tell this to you honestly, like, because, you know, I, I think our experiences, it could be somewhat similar. Real talk, they're just like, yo, someone from the Masjid made it. Is he like me? And I think what they're trying to see is like, yo, if Hassan Minhaj can make it, maybe I can make it
1: does it does it ever affect your relationship with islam for example a lot of times you know i am i think in the washington post newsroom for the longest time i was the only hijabi and there was this pressure that like Everyone is watching you, Lena, and you better get up and pray right now. Even though, like, for a while I wasn't even praying, but I, there was this pressure to, to like, I must because I'm being watched because other people are looking up to me. Yeah. Does it ever?
2: <laughs> so, Lena, you're telling me in the Washington Post newsroom you had to just stand up and do the Adhan just so everyone knew, like... <laughs> All right, I got a call to prayer right now. Just let people know what time it is. It's time for Zohar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you finish. Sorry, I was doing a bit.
1: No, no, no. That was. I was wondering, like, do you ever feel the same? Like, or like, how do you manage it?
2: So it's interesting. What I'm trying to do is close the gap between who I am on Instagram and who I am on iMessage. And <laughs> there's there's Instagram Lena, there's Instagram Hassan, and then there's iMessage Lena, and there's iMessage Hassan, and and like. That's like the real vulnerable who we are, the way we we talk to our mom or our sister or our dad or our brother or our wives or husbands or partners. That analysis really is the, the stuff that I I care about. Like, do they think I'm a good role model? Do they think I'm like doing my duty as a Muslim, as a son, as a father, as a husband? Like those things. I've just as I've gotten older, I've realized like that's really what I have to care about. And if I delete Twitter and Instagram off my phone. Quite frankly, those are the only relationships that actually matter.
1: I love that. That is very wise.
2: And just to put it on the record, I'm just going to do it so everyone knows. Five times a day is a lot. I do my best. I can't pray five times a day. Here's what I'll do. I'm going to be real with you guys, okay? And I don't have to. Okay. Fudger's really early, okay? Like during Ramzan, maybe I can hit Fudger. But like, I try to do Isha. I'll try to do an afternoon prayer. Like I'm doing my best, y'all. I'm doing my best. Uh, you know, there's sometimes where I'm, I'm I can hit close to five, and there's sometimes where I'm hitting a couple. Bear with me. I'm doing my best. Your boy's doing his best. It's a lot, and I, I hope God understands. We're doing 35 times a week. I think that's I think we're the most out of any major religion. I'm, I, I'm I, again, Wapo. You guys fact check me. Perhaps there could be another faith that has more than 35 a week. 35 is a pretty pretty solid number. And um, and yeah, I, I would be lying to you if I told you I hit all 35 seven days a week. It's 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 a lot.
0: Hassan Minhaj is a comedian. His new stand-up tour, which is happening through March, is called The King's Jester. That's it for post reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced and mixed by Lena Mohammed. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from the Washington Post. You can probably treat yourself to an ad free upgrade or at least grab an extra latte.